Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Capitalize Your Fridays. I'm Michael Williams, founder and president of Altius Financial, and I'm joined by my co-host again, Taylor McGowan, senior wealth designer at Altius Financial. Taylor, say hi to everybody. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. So I'm not sure about uh, our listeners or about you, Taylor, but I keep seeing all these uh, tweets and news articles. Well, maybe not... uh, news articles, maybe clickbait type articles, or <laughs> that's a whole nother topic, right? Uh, but about these new investment vehicles, there's all these little acronyms that are being thrown out, uh, SPACs, S- SPACs and NFTs and all kinds of things. So we thought, you and I thought we should talk about that. Um, at least give our clients an idea on uh, what some of these new investment vehicles, vehicles are about. Um, how about you? Have you seen... Lots of information on this, this new stuff. Yeah, so I, I definitely think you you can't open a web browser without seeing some kind of investment vehicle and, oh, here's the new best thing. And it's interesting because, um, I mean, stonks aren't really a real thing. If you've heard of that phrase, lots of Instagram memes are, oh, I invested in Apple, haha, stonks. Well, that's, that is stocks. <laughs> so just to clarify yeah, for weird. anyone who's getting some weird um, mixed messages on their social media. I've seen some stuff like that. And I, I, you know, you and I talked about it just briefly and I, I'm like, what the heck is a stonk? I mean, what is a stonk? <laughs> it's, I think, I don't even know if it's a millennial thing, but I, as a millennial, I seem to think it might be. It's just kind of like a way that we're, we're making fun of becoming more investment oriented. I think a lot of so people So it's not might... necessarily saying anything about the value of a particular stock? <laughs> nope, not at all. Because I was thinking it was like, you know, okay, I bought a crappy stock and I'm going to call it a stinky stock. And instead of it being a stinky stock, it's a stock. <laughs> Is that what they mean? <laughs> no, not not that I've seen. Um, sent, I tend to see it more related to like the growth oriented stocks. So I don't know if it's, um, okay, I'm taking more of a risk on this investment, but huh. yeah, I think it's mostly just a joking. Yeah. It's funny how each funny. generation has its own way of adding some humor to things when they're investing or otherwise. I remember, um, you know, there've been a few times where we felt like, or lots of people, especially value conscious investors thought we were sort of in bubble territory or things were overvalued, which some of our uh, clients have at least heard me talk about. There, there were actually literally uh, TV commercials where teenagers were flying around in helicopters to their newly purchased islands because they were making so much money hand over fist from day trading. You know, and that's that was the early early two thousands where um, you know, the the discount brokers and being able to trade stocks uh, very cheaply. You know, not having uh, high commissions. Um, was sort of the rage and people were day trading and make, you know, supposedly making tons of money. Um, and that was sort of a humorous thing put into TV commercials. And I, on the flip side, I remember, you know, in the most recent crashes, people talk about their 401ks as being like their 201ks because, because it <laughs> lost so much value. That's a, maybe a little old fashioned as far as the humor, but I guess maybe that's similar to people just, you know, have a way of trying to characterize what's going on in the marketplace. And you're, you're saying stonks are a way that uh, millennials are talking about their stock portfolios now, huh? Yeah, I think it's kind of just trying to make a 
um, make light of a more serious thing. Yeah, so hopefully we can make light of it, uh, but also add some value. Um, you know, neither one of us are experts on on these new investment vehicles. We've done some research, and but that's what we're here today is to to demystify a little bit and you know try to define some common terms that are being thrown out. Uh, before we get into that, though, I want to make sure that we do our uh, our uh, disclaimer, and I'll let yeah. you take care of that, Taylor. Yeah, so just a quick reminder, before anyone starts interpreting this incorrectly and um, runs out, throws all their investments into NFTs or something, I do want to let you guys know, um, this is meant to be informative informative and um, just good information, good entertainment. Um, We're not telling you direct advice. We definitely recommend you reach out to your financial team or reach out to us directly if you're looking for a financial team. And like Mike said, we've both looked into this quite a bit. I mean, I've been watching documentaries and um, trying to kind of soak up like a sponge everything I can. But obviously, I am not a professional on um, SPACs or NFTs. Uh, My thought is just let's try and see how much I can learn and how much I can pass on to others. Yeah, so So, what is all this? All this mean as far as, uh, well, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Maybe you're oh, going to, because we, we do need to make sure we're giving a good, strong disclaimer. This is not specific investment advice for anybody. Um, if we mentioned any securities, any any kinds of securities, that doesn't mean we're endorsing that or detracting from it. We're just trying to give you some information, having a little bit of a, a dialogue between Taylor and I about these things, and hopefully that add value, adds value. But what, what does all this mean you know, to you, Taylor? Yeah, well, so to me, when people like joke about stocks and say, okay, well, that's, we know that that means stocks. I think it really comes back to, okay, it's ownership. And I think across the board, everything that we're talking about today is looking at like company or item or collectible or currency ownership and how you value that type of ownership. Um, On a similar note, it's about kind of businesses and how do you grow those businesses and how do you um, continue to expand if you are, say, a small business that wants to um, get additional funding to grow your company and eventually take that company public. So to me, it's it's about ownership and the value that you see there and then um, what it means to be a company and what it means to grow that company and what that looks like for um, from an individual perspective from a business perspective and from an investor's perspective. Yeah, I think you're right to identify those two key things, ownership and value. And the digital revolution has changed that in many ways. And that's what some of these new vehicles are all about. Whether they're whether they're adding value is another question. Uh, you know, this is a rabbit hole. So um, <laughs> I, I, I was yeah. listening to some information of, you know, this is all about new technology and, you know, the whole idea of ownership. I mean, I was, th- there's, there's a lot of stuff out there um, that people are saying, well, ownership is not so big a deal anymore as long as I have use. Um, and eventually we'll evolve in a, into a society that gets rid of ownership of anything. I won't own anything. And I don't really care about owning anything as long as I can have the right experience. I mean, the example I was going to bring up in the rabbit hole was, um, you know, most people are familiar with Uber and, and Lyft and some of those kinds of, you know, and that's allowing for people to say, well, I don't really need to have the ownership of a car. Um, most of us who've done Lyft and, and, and Uber still own our own car, but 
but a lot of times we're taking advantage of the fact that we can get somewhere. And no, the, the taxi services have been around forever, but that's not really the value of those things. And those, those aren't really replacing taxis, so to speak, as they're giving more information to the marketplace, which is, that's the real value is, you know, when does someone need a ride right now? Uh, and what are they willing to pay for it? Um, but I was, further than that, I was reading where, you know, let's say you're doing a home project, you're doing something at home, you need a power tool. Well, eventually, you know, I have lots of power tools, some of them in storage, because I'm not very handy, and I don't use those power tools very often. But the example the, the person was using is, you know, in the future, you're going to be able to, you know, just hit a hit an app on your phone and say, need a drill. And, you know, before you know it, you're going to have some, somebody, uh, you know, some robotic process go from pulling a power drill off of a warehouse nearby, uh, some robotic driverless car or, or drone picking up that drill and delivering it to you in a fairly efficient manner. And then you being able to use it for a couple hours at a fraction of the cost of what it would you know, take for you to own and store this drill and then be able to you know, put it back in some kind of pod and have it go back to the warehouse. Um, and so you don't own anything. You're just using the drill when you need it. Uh, it's more of a, um, I need something now and I have, I need the experience of having this tool right now, but I don't need to own the actual tool. That's different than these investment vehicles, but it's similar in the sense of saying the digitization of our world is allowing for us to get what we want, more of what we want without having to own things. I mean, and going back to the, the car example, you know, the reason why driverless cars are certainly Lyft and, and Uber are of value is that as most people realize, most of the cars that we own just sit there in the garage or, or in the our parking spot at work or the grocery store, 90% of the time they're not being used. So it's a way to make assets more efficient than, uh, and you know, that again, that's a rabbit hole, but it is in my mind connected to this whole concept of digitization. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's like, um, since we are transitioning to more of a service-based economy, we're not focusing on, okay, where do I store those drills or where do I store the car? It's, oh, you can have a small location that you're living in and you don't need a huge garage and you don't need a storage shed in the back. You can just use things as needed. Right. Um, I even saw that so far as I saw, I was trying to look at um, tents and camping gear. Mm -hmm. And the first link I clicked on was trying to rent me camping gear. And it was saying, oh, okay, well, use it for a weekend and we'll add in a flashlight or something. Well, yeah. And you were even the other day, we were on a call with a client and you were talking about uh, making use of their property in terms of putting their uh, raw land on the market to be able to rent out for someone who wants to camp instead of them having to go through the hassle of, uh, you know, going through the public forest service, which is already booked up or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, like developing. Able, yeah. Getting a, a camp spot. So it's, it's exciting, you know, from that standpoint, it's exciting that you're, you're in, in preparation for this podcast, you and I were talking about it and you were saying, you know, removing middlemen. And I think you're right. I mean, that's middlemen are always on the chopping block as far as a capitalist economy, because, you know, it's a question of, are they adding value? Well, certainly they do in many ways, but they also have to say, okay, now am I, if someone found a way around me, <laughs> if someone yeah. found a way around me to, to reduce the costs or go directly to the, the producers of value. Um, and so middlemen, in one sense, we're all middlemen. I mean, there's, there's not that many people who are totally value 
productive in everything they do. So they have to use middlemen for other things. That's the division of labor, but yeah. it's making it more well, efficient, reducing friction. Or even in, a, in the same sense, it forces the middlemen to be better. Yeah. So either we're not going to have the costs or add more value or both. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And that's, um, you know, that's the beautiful thing, you know, I got to put my plug in for a free market where you, know, you just have that happen fat so much faster in a free market because the values get, get conveyed to the marketplace through the pricing mechanism mechanism so much faster when people say, yeah, I, you know, I want, I like this value. I like this middleman and what they're doing for me. Oh no, maybe I don't. They're not, they're not, they need to bring their prices down or they need to add some more value. Yeah. Well, and kind of speaking of middleman, let's transition back to where we, where we started with this. Um, we were talking about stocks and we we're going to transition to talking about SPACs, but before I really get into, okay, what is a SPAC? I think it's helpful to note that um, this all kind of comes from the, the concept of going public. So when a company says, okay, I need to get in more income or get in more um, funds, more capital. more capital in order to improve my business, they either typically do this privately through a VC or publicly, they can try to go public and, um, and just gather money that way. And there's a few different ways to do that. And so this, while we're talking about middlemen, um, the one that you probably have heard of the most, or at least the one I heard of the most growing up is, oh, this company is doing an IPO. And so that's one of your options. It's an initial public offering. And that's where, so you're hiring underwriters and they're going through and saying, okay, well, what is this company worth? And let's kind of create some new shares and then, and then sell those shares to the public. And so that is one way to go public. A similar way is a DPO, a direct public offering, a direct listing. And so this is, instead of hiring your middleman, you're, you're kind of cutting out that cost. You're going directly to the public and you're taking only your existing shares. So you're cutting out some of that middleman cost, but it's still going to take the time to make sure that you've, you know what you're doing here. These both typically take a decent amount of time to go through. And so that is kind of where this whole SPAC thing came about. And Mike, um, feel free to interrupt or correct me if I'm saying any of this wrong. This is, <laughs> this is all me doing research and um, no, I, I think my you're on the right track. I mean, I, I think what people need to realize, like, I think you said this already, but just to clarify a little bit, you know, when if a company needs capital, they either borrow it from somebody and that means they create a debt, they owe somebody back, or they say, no, we're going to offer equity. You can now be a part of ownership. And, you know, initially in a startup, people are saying, I'm going to put my own money into this, or I'm going to borrow money from the band or I borrow money from the bank. The bank is usually going to see, you know, is there value there? Do you have some of your own skin in the game? Did your mom and dad give you money? <laughs> Do you have enough investment there to, and do you have a good enough idea for the business to, to make a go of it? Um, that's a startup, but you're talking about, you know, well beyond that. Um, yeah, we just talked about the other night in our workshop, um, a way to access private companies to get ownership in private companies without actually uh, buying publicly traded companies. It's, it's a way of, you know, it's, it's a using a, an interval mutual fund, which is publicly traded, but is, it is, itself buying private companies. Um, so it's all about the, the company itself trying to uh, gain more capital 
for the expansion of their business or liquidity event for some of their early owners, trying to have them say, okay, I've worked hard on this and now there's a lot, I've created a lot of value in the world and I want a liquidity event. I want to get some cash out of my business and diversify some of it. Uh, that's on the business owner side. Um, and then for the investor side saying, yeah, I want to, I want to benefit from this company that I like and what they're doing, what the, the new products that they're putting out there. And I want to benefit by being uh, an owner and having the value of being an owner of that company. And these are just multiple ways of doing it. As we always say at root, you still have to look under the hood and see, you know, is there those three things that we talk about three crucial things with any business. And again, people talk about stocks or stocks or all these different acronyms, but we're talking about businesses, businesses that have at least three things. One is, do they have a really good idea? Do they sell products or services that people want and are willing to pay for? Do there, are there good economics in that? Two is, do they have good, honest, long-term rational thinking managers? You know, people who actually understand the business itself and are good stewards of capital. And then third is, you know, can a person buy in at a good price? Are they getting a good value for what they're, they're putting their hard money into? All of these various ways of investing still show, should come back to those three fundamentals. Now, I kind of interrupted you. Um, I think you're on the right track in terms of explaining them. Um, and we haven't even jumped into the SPAC issue yet. Yeah. And well, so that was kind of where we were headed is, okay, so if... I don't want to deal with the, if I don't want to do an IPO or I don't want to do a DPO and I'm, I want to go public. So I, I don't want to stick with a privately held company. I don't want to take out loans. What you are the, the other business options? Owner or as the investor? As the owner, as yeah. the, well, the original owner, because as the investor, you're also an owner. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of. That's right. So then you look at, okay, well, Hey, what's this, this SPAC thing, S-P-A-C, what does that mean? And so that's a special purpose acquisition company. And so essentially those are companies that are created as kind of a shell company. I think people have heard that phrase shell company and um, maybe you're thinking, oh, what, what does that mean? Um, so, I mean, the company is the oyster in the middle and the shell is just kind of what holds it. Um, and essentially these are just empty shells. You're, there's no oyster, there's no pearl in there. You're, you're waiting to put the good stuff into there and just right now you're just filling it with money and there's no real basis of okay i'm putting money into this company because it's gonna build the next spacecraft and go to mars and that's what this company is you're you're building it based on saying okay well i know that the company the management for this company is x y and z and i believe in them they've done a great job historically, so I'm comfortable funding this. So that is kind of how they get around doing, um, there's a lot less regulatory regulatory, and a lot less, um, I don't know, like you're not, they're not giving you all their balance sheets before you give them that your money. If you're, and if you're doing it before they choose the company. Yeah, and as a, you know, as a value investor, that makes me nervous because I want to look under the hood and say, what am I getting here? What's in, you know, what's yeah. actually in this thing and do I think there's value there? So that, that always makes a person like me nervous. You know, when you say blank check type of SPAC, um, but you know, I don't mean to interrupt your train of thought there. I think there probably is some good use for these things, but I think a person needs to realize that they're under less regulatory scrutiny than just a regularly publicly traded company. And um, 
you know, that you don't know, you don't really get to necessarily tell what you're investing in early on, right? Yeah, exactly. And so then from when you start funding to the time that you're supposed to take this public, you're you're supposed to have a two-year time frame is what the research that I did said that basically if if they don't have a company behind this and it's not going through within two years, then everyone basically gets their money back is what I had read. So, I mean, you guys can double check <laughs> my research on that because it seems like I haven't heard of gambles where you can put in your money and not know where it's going and then, oh, if this doesn't work out, you get it back. Or if it... <laughs> if we don't go all the way to the, um, through, but that is what my reading was. But then again, you could be investing in a company that if, if it goes through and it's a company that you don't like, or don't believe in, or isn't successful, then that is where you do actually lose your money. Um, the interesting thing that I also read about these is you can actually invest after they choose what they're funding. So if you found that, okay, there's a SPAC that's funding, your favorite company that your best friend is running. And as soon as they say, okay, this is what we're actually putting the money into, there is a way to get into that. And you can do that on like your TD Ameritrade. You just have to find out what the, what the ticker symbol is for that SPAC. Mm -hmm. But the difference is typically when you're buying original SPACs, you'll be purchasing what's called a unit. That's typically comprised of two portions. So part of that is you actually owning shares in the company. So essentially it's like you're buying stock in this company. And then the other portion is what's called a warrant. And so that's essentially an option to buy the stock at a future price. So it's, it's an, basically an option to say, hey, at this price is how much you can purchase these shares at a future date. And once they go public, a cent... A, I mean, hopefully the price would be higher than what your strike price is or your purchase price would be on that warrant, but um, there's no real guarantees on those. So their special purpose, as in the title, their special purpose is to acquire mm -hmm. uh, ownership in other companies, right? That's their special purpose. And so you're buying into a company that's market or product is as a special mission to go ahead and go out there and buy companies that you don't know about yet. And you're getting access to companies that are um, potentially have high growth profiles and um, wouldn't normally be accessible to you in the first place. Yeah. There is the issue of dilution though, right? I mean, that, that always is the case for small investors that they, they don't have, I mean, it's rare that uh, small investors or even, you know, medium-sized investors have the capital to buy in at controlling shares where you own 51% of the company and you have control over it. Um, you're usually buying much tinier pieces of anything. And yeah. so you, you might be, you as a part of the special acquisition corporation might be diluting existing shareholders and they might be diluting, diluting yours as well um, in terms of the ownership. And that's, that's always a concern, um, with that kind of, but that's, that's typical for any kind of, uh, private company trying to get access to more funds. Yeah. Well, and another risk of these is, um, I had said before, okay, you can go on your TD Ameritrade account or your Fidelity account and purchase these. Um, it, you really have to check with your custodian because some custodians will hold back. Some won't. It really just varies, but from the research I did, 
if you're purchasing a warrant or you're purchasing a unit, a unit, as I said before, has those two different portions. So once you do this purchase, you actually have to call up your custodian and say, hey, now I need you to split this. So then they're splitting it between your warrants and your shares. So you've got a unit and then you got to divide it out. And oftentimes you're also paying 40 to 100 plus dollars to have them restructure that for you as a fee. Um, yeah, obviously, well. if it's a, you know, if it's something that's a special thing for the custodian to make sure that they're uh, complying and tracking properly, then they're going to probably have a little fee on there to, to make sure they're doing it properly as well. Yeah. What else do you know about SPACs? Would you put one, would you put money into a SPAC right now? Would you say the client should do that? Again, we're not giving any specific advice, but do, you know, do you have sort of a, a, uh, a feeling about this vehicle for clients long-term capital? Yeah, I think if, if I knew about the managers, so if I said, um, I don't know, if it was like my best friend, who's the best business owner I've ever met, and this person's been killing it, and they've worked their way up, and I've seen what kind of work they're doing, and they're the one who's going to be the business manager, then maybe I'm more inclined to do with that. Um, yeah, but playing devil's advocate here, you know, you're... But, if it's your best friend, yeah, you probably got the fam family friends shares early on, right? They probably were talking to you about their idea and their company and maybe asked you originally for some, some founders, you know, to put founders money in. So you yeah. may be already an owner. You already got the early money in. Uh, I'm talking yeah. about later money for clients or yourself or me, you know, as, as portfolio managers and stewards of capital for our clients, that's kind of well after founder shares or, you know, quote unquote, family and friends shares, the early money that goes into a good idea. Yeah. Um, you know, is, is it a good idea for clients? Or you? I think it's, it's a very high risk. So um, I don't think it goes along with what we talk about as our value investment strategy. Um, it's very hard to convince someone to say, put your money into something that you know nothing about. I think people do it all the time. People gamble, people buy lottery tickets. Um, so would you put this I mean, in the bucket of, this isn't investing, this is gambling? Um, I think if you're, if you know, cause I did say that there is that point where, um, at least from what I'd read, it said that you can purchase into this after you know what the SPAC is funded with. At that point, you're likely not getting a good deal on it, but then you're at least hopefully before it has, has a public offering. And at that point, maybe that's a good investment. If it's a company that you'd maybe been following and waiting to see, oh, is this going to have an IPO or is it going to go into a SPAC or how can I buy into this? If it's something you're following, that's more likely a better investment. But I, I, I think you and I talked about this years ago where you said early adapters and early investments of this type are just typically very, very high risk. So I think people need to be aware that um, while this is investing, these are companies, this is probably someone's dream coming into fruition. This is something they've worked very hard for, I would assume. Um, it is very high, high risk. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, again, both the positive side and the negative side. I mean, uh, you know, the wonderful thing about investing, especially in a free economy where people can bring their ideas to market, to the marketplace and, and innovation is a, a you know, an important part 
of a dynamic and growing economy, trying to solve new, trying to solve problems in a different way. That's what innovation is, right? It's, it's trying to say, here's a different way to think about this. You know, we, I, I gave the example of Uber. You know, here's a different way to think about transportation. Here's a different way to think about information or values that people have regarding transportation. And it's a way to, to uh, it, that's a beautiful part of a, a thriving market-based economy where you have that kind of innovation and you're bringing capital to where the good ideas are. The flip side is that most ideas, and I tell, sell it, say this to people all the time, including my own ideas, most of the ideas that I have are not necessarily good ideas. They're going to, they're probably going to fail. They're going to be stupid ideas. Um, so you don't want to necessarily feed stupid ideas, yeah. but sometimes you have to feed stupid ideas to learn. And, you know, even inside of a specific innovative company, that's what they've done. They've actually gone through several iterations of their own idea and learned and got tested by the marketplace to say, now we've got something that's really workable. So it has both aspects, you know, the, the, the risky side and the reward side of that kind of a, uh, of uh, that kind of allocation of capital. And, and obviously if, if it has that risk, then a person wants to be aware of, okay, can I afford that risk? You know, is, it, is that something that's gonna make sense for me uh, in the long term? Can I afford to lose this capital? Yeah. Well, so what about you? Would you, would you ever buy a SPAC? Is there a world in which you'd purchase a SPAC? <laughs> or purchase them for our clients even to take it a step further? Well, yeah, and you, you and I know that's one of my big tests. If I won't buy it for myself or my mom, then I have a hard time saying I'm going to put it in a client's portfolio. Um, that is one of, uh, you know, we eat our own cooking, so to speak, or we walk our own talk or however you want to put it. We, we believe in putting our money where our client's money is. And that doesn't mean, you know, my client, my portfolio looks exactly like yours or any one particular client. Cause we're all in different life stages. We all have different uh, relationships with money. We all have different financial uh, circumstances, whether our income or you know, whatever life stage we're at. And so risk can be different for different people, but I don't believe in putting money where, you know, just saying, okay, here's a new thing. So I'll, you know, use my clients as lab rats or something. I'm <laughs> yeah. Let them go into the risk um, or vice versa. If I feel like it's a good enough risk for me, you know, then I'm not going to hide it from my clients either. Um, that said, I don't, I don't know enough. I mean, I'm still learning about this. Uh, the, I think every time something new comes around from Wall Street in terms of structure, you know, here's a new, in some way, you know, people get skeptical about Wall Street sometimes, you know, this is just a new scheme to build the public from there, you know, to separate the, the money from the, the greater fools, um, you know, the, the people who are not smart enough to, to understand what's going on with this. Um, that's one aspect, but then there's all there, the innovations, financial innovations are incredible. There's so many great things that have come along by Wall Street, by the financial services sector that have fueled our economy, fueled innovation in a big way. So I'm not, I wouldn't rule it out at all. And I wouldn't say it's hard for me to say I'm going to invest in a shell. I think you're put your, your finger on it when you said, well, if, if I know more about it, if I know, you know, maybe the reputation of the people who are putting together the special pur purchase acquisition company, if I know something about that, uh, but it is a little bit of a leap of faith. If you say, you know, here's my blank check and I know you, hopefully you guys will put something together that, that'll uh, return us all capital. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. I'm, I'm learning about it. Maybe I'm a little slower than some people to, to jump into the, to the new stuff, um, but that has served me and our clients well over time. Yeah. I'd be a little bit skeptical at first. Yeah. So it's kind of like a never say never, but you're not jumping both feet in right now into them because it, 
it is a high risk and we would like to know more about an investment before we put it. We yeah, ideally yeah. want to know as much as possible about an investment before we invest our or our yeah, I agree money into it. So what about this whole idea? This is a different new uh, term, the non-fungible tokens. We touched on this on a prior podcast when we were talking about the blockchain and cryptocurrencies and things like that. But now we're hearing more about these NFTs, these non-fungible to tokens. Talk, talk a little bit more about that, Taylor. Yeah, so these are kind of interesting. Um, so we already, we talked about ownership of businesses. Now these are more talking about ownership of assets. And so, um, and they're digital assets. So it's stuff like arts, digital games, collectibles, music, films, sports, fashion. Um, so they've kind of, it seems like it's from what I've read, it seems like it started mostly with art and they've kind of tried to expand into as many markets as possible before talking in, and before talking on this uh, podcast, Mike and I kind of talked about it and um, I'm not entirely sure on how that works as far as like IP ownership. So I, I think that's one thing I want to be clear with. I, I don't know this for sure, but as far as we've learned, so basically what you're doing is you're using a digital ledger. So um, many of you have heard the term blockchain. So this is utilizing that blockchain type technology. And more specifically, it's using um, something that's enforced with a contract. So it's you saying, hey, if I give you X money, I get this piece of art, or I get this digital sports card or digital sports clip. So how is um, it different, Taylor? If I, if I say, you know, if I'm old school and I want to buy a painting, you know, I, ha I have a brother who has, who's a painter, uh, you know, and he, he it's funny because my daughter is a uh, graphic design person and a lot of what she creates is digital, right? She does it on her computer. Well, my brother doesn't do anything like that. He doesn't do anything on the computer. It's all about, you know, the actual paint, the actual canvas. Uh, he creates physical pieces of art that, you know, have three dimensionality to it. You can, you can say, okay, I paid you for this painting and I'm, I'm taking it away from you. I'm, I actually can take a physical thing and now I'm going to put it on the wall. And now you're saying these NFTs are using artworks. That's how they started. Tell me how that differs from using my brother's example, you know, taking an actual painting from him. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, obviously the traditional form of trade it, just across the board is you give someone traditional money, which is a currency. You're either doing gold or some type of national currency and you're exchanging it for goods or services. Now we're transitioning this from, okay, we're taking a digital currency. So you're, you're going to have to buy the currency that relates to the item that you want to purchase. So maybe that's, you're using Ethereum, so you're buying Ether, you're buying Bitcoin, you're buying um, whatever type well, are of Are you coin. saying that NFTs are only offered on certain blockchain coin uh, platforms? Like I can, I could buy maybe one piece of art on Bitcoin on that platform and I can only, I could buy certain other pieces of art or music or whatever might be on a different one. Yep. So whatever specific thing you want to buy, it has to um, be tradable on your type of currency, currency Digital and currency. device. So you, so essentially you would have to open a wallet that would relate to the type of currency and the type of transaction you're looking to make. Now, does that mean the artist is saying, look, I'm not selling this for dollars. You know, I, I created this value. Um, 
I created this piece of art and you like it, you value it and you want to buy it. But guess what? You can't buy it with dollars or you can't barter. You can't send, you know, you can't send me a bunch of corn that you grew or something produce from your garden. You can't send me the kind of currency you want. You have to accept what I'm selling it for. Is that what they're doing? Well, so essentially uh, from the artist's perspective, and once again, take this with a grain of salt, it's the research that I've done. You would create a wallet on the platform that you want to sell through. And then you would create your art and then you would upload that into this platform. And so it can only be purchased on that platform. And then that platform only accepts certain types of currencies. So depending on what kind of platform you're utilizing, it may be multiple currencies or it may just be one. And then if someone says, I want that item, then they go, well, I need to now get a wallet, trade in my US dollars or euros for this type of coin to then buy that item. And then um, that artist basically says, I mean, I'm just asking you, the artist says, okay, you've made the conversion and now I'm letting go of my piece of art. You now have that piece of art. Now I have your Bitcoins or your uh, Ethereum coins. And now I'm taking those coins and turning them into US dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then you can exchange them back out. You know, why wouldn't someone just say, well, here's the dollars instead of going all around that whole digital currency thing. Because I think a lot of people are going to, when they do the exchange, I think they're planning to keep them in coins. I think a lot of the people who are using um, coins as a means of transaction are thinking, okay, well, I want to grow my wealth in a different type of currency as well. I think the people who are planning to do these kinds of transactions are hopefully... I guess not hopefully, but I believe that they're likely trying to build up a diversified wealth of currencies. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that. You, we talked about this earlier. It's never safe for me to assume anything, so I don't know. Um, but I think if it was me and I was an artist and I was creating um, these types of NFT type stuff, or if I was a singer and I was producing vocals that were then traded for funds, I would likely keep a portion of them in um, in that type of currency because both that would allow me to pay any kind of fees. So there's a phrase that I read that was gas fees, which is basically you paying to continue to host your NFT on that platform. So that allows me to pay any kind of fees I need in that process. And, and then if I want to trade, if I'm thinking, okay, maybe we always joked about, okay, one day you could maybe buy a coffee at a shop with another currency or something. So um, just for diversification purposes. But as I said before, I I don't know everything. The biggest example that I read about that I think is probably more relatable to the, the everyday Joe type people, the people who aren't like multimillionaires buying excessive fancy artwork or something like that I would think like the NBA top shot stuff which in in that situation you would have to open up an NBA top shot account and then use a dapper wallet and then you'd have to get USDC stable coin or one of their supported coins so I think they have actually created their own coin that you use terms that are probably foreign at least they're foreign (laughs) And I bet they're foreign to some of our listeners. Explain some of what you were just talking about. What is all that? 
Well, so NBA from what I've read, I, it's... When you say NBA like, Top Shot, are you talking about the National Basketball Association? What is Top mm-hmm. Shot? What is, uh, what is a dapper wallet? What the hell is that? Um, what, so I believe they're, they're using, I think they're making like collectible cards, like basically like baseball cards, but for the NBA. And I think some of them are like video related from what I've heard. And it's based on the previous night's game. And then they're releasing these cards and people are wanting to pick them up and collect them for like their favorite players. Hmm. Um, so that's a way for a player to just monetize more of their market value to say, okay, I, I had a good game and somebody interviewed me and maybe I do a little video clip about that. And, and now Taylor, because she's got a dapper wallet can be the only person who has that video clip. Is that what you're saying? Well, so, um, and I remember seeing this on, and this isn't a shout out for them, but like a barstool sports thing where people were debating, oh, are we buying these collectible cards? And like half of the people on their podcast are saying, oh yeah, we're all buying these, but no one really knows what it's worth (laughs) or if it's really worth anything. Um, I think it's more, if you're like a sports fanatic, um, which I would think maybe more of our listeners might be sports related. I don't know. You mean Um, more than you or I, is that what you're saying? Well, just more, I think that's something easier to relate to is sports. Versus a piece of art or? Yeah, versus a piece of art, because I feel art, like I love going to a museum to see a piece of art, but for me to think, oh, I'm going to buy a million dollar piece of artwork, I'd rather have a house. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, like, I, mean, I, I think these, it's more are these, accessible. Uh, are these basketball a... card video things, are they millions of dollars that someone pays for that? From what I've heard, it seems like you're buying them. Um, um, I don't know how much it is for one, but apparently they sell out fast. So I think you're buying them originally. And then I think there's a resale market for them as well. A resale so I think people of the are original re- token, right? Because you're you're basically trying to say, I have the real thing. I don't have a copy of the thing. I have the real thing. Yep. No, it's digital and could be reproduced by lots of people. And hacked and maybe changed. I don't know. I mean, you're uh, that's part of the that's whole- That's where you got your watching. coin, your token. Yeah. or your key yeah so it's i mean the digital world <laughs> i i heard something the other day and it was like cryptocurrency is like trying to explain um like banking to people who don't understand banking and then adding on computer science to people who don't know about computer science <laughs> which well, is and true then, I mean, and I then wasn't even more in... than that um you know <laughs> values to people who don't understand philosophy right yeah what, exactly. what makes someone value I, you know you said you were talking about people who might be in more in sports i was thinking about a time when i you know i used to have denver nuggets season tickets yeah and i was you know a nuggets fanatic in one sense I, you know i wasn't maybe off the charts but i was definitely into sports and i would have been the kind of person who you know i had posters of some of my favorite players and um I might've been the kind of person who would pay to have the only, you know, if you could, you know, the night David Thompson scored 73 points in in one game, and then he made a comment or something after that, I might've been willing to say, I I'm the person who has that interview, that video interviewer, or, or, you know, maybe he owned the rights to his dunk in the final, you know, all-star game or whatever it might be. Well, Um, I think that's more what it is. It's like, you're getting like that final dunk. And then but, I but think it's it, like only one person gets that. But it seems like, you know, the people who are going to pay for that are two kind of 
barbells of the spectrum, either like when I was very young, maybe even, you know, a high school basketball player myself, or even, even a new financial advisor, but not, didn't have the means that I have right now. And yeah. so I couldn't afford to outbid someone for David Thompson's final dunk, <laughs> you know, someone else was going to, and, and then the other end of the bar, you know, you got the, the, you know, the billionaire who can just throw money around at anything. And he's scooping up all these uh, video clips of famous basketball players. Um, uh, yeah. You know, I'm, you probably don't even know who Damon Thompson is. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as sporty. David Skywalker Thompson. People should, I'm sure there will be someone hopefully who's listening to our podcast. It's not just uh, youngster hipsters like you who are listening. Hopefully there'll be a couple of people who listen and say, yeah, I never remember David Skywalker Thompson. Yeah. In any case. Um, Way back. He was the best. <laughs> but in any case, yeah, I, I think we should should probably wrap this up um i mean SPACs, nfts stocks is this all fad are these investments i definitely think investing in businesses investing in businesses that you believe in businesses like you said with good management good value at a good price um with a good idea that's a good investment um SPACs could possibly be a good investment nfts if you're into collectible type items, this could be your thing. I think this type of technology will continue to expand and hopefully um, be great for seeing kind of how the future of contracts goes just kind of across the board. Um, but like I said, I don't know enough specifics about, okay, who owns the IP on all of this once you start trading it? Well, the key thing is it's a different way and a better enhanced way to reinforce contracts mm -hmm. which is what the real that's one of the major attributes of a free market system that allows for this kind of trade is you know do we have a good solid understanding that can be enforceable and you know and clear to all parties and, and this is a, a a new development that allows for that but it doesn't say what's in the contract it doesn't say what you know what we're trading and so what we're trading can be good or bad or valuable or not depending upon you know what's actually in there yeah. So is there anything else you wanted to add before I kind of wrap it up? No, no, I think you're right. I mean, we can go down lots of rabbit holes again, but I think this has been helpful, helpful for me and hopefully helpful for people listening about, you know, the, some of the new ideas that are coming out as far as investments. Um, I think you're right. It's time for us to wrap this one up and then talk about uh, next time. Yeah. And if you guys, if anyone has questions, comments, thoughts, if you, have any feedback for us. I mean, I will post this episode to our our social platforms. Feel free to comment on there even and just say, hey, I, I checked this out. Here's something you could add. Here's something that we should talk about next time. Um, we'd love to continue to engage with any of our listeners or any of our followers. So please feel free to reach out in that way. Um, once again, this is our 53 week challenge. So we're on week 20. Another easy one, we would like you guys to reach out to any of the moms or um, significant women in your life and just reach out, be positive, let them know that you appreciate them. It was Mother's Day yesterday. We're recording on Monday and posting on Friday. So hope you guys all were able to either spend in-person or virtual time with those impactful women in your lives. Last little wrap up. Please follow us on our on all of our platforms. We're saved as Altius Financial, A-L-T-I-U-S Financial. It's all typed as one word. 
we've got Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, and our podcast, which you guys are tuning into. If you have any questions for us, Michael at altsfinancial.com, Taylor at altsfinancial.com, or check out our website, www.altsfinancial.com. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and joining us. I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. Have a great weekend.